good evening and welcome to laugh and monkey music show today we have on mark Hendel from great white how are you man doing good john thanks well i was on today we talk about what's going on maybe a little bit brief history there's a lot out there on you but maybe we can touch on a few different things and you know see where it goes a few questions i don't know and i haven't heard and i want to talk about your guitar and some of your zeppelin stuff too and some other stuff yeah. you've done okay, okay. I think, so first uh, we were talking before awesome background here we got some albums behind you your your office here you got some cool stuff there uh, yeah we kind of uh when my mom died, I, I had a lot of albums in storage, you know, all the bowling trophies, if you will. Yeah. And uh, we moved our storage unit when we moved into this house. Um, I think it was like 2015 or so. And I got all the albums. They were all in storage. I hadn't had them on the wall since, you know, <laughs> I don't know when, like sometime in the 80s. So I hadn't really had them you know displayed so when people come over they're all over the living room or whatever so uh we set up this office when our daughter moved out in this room so we thought we'd make it i made it kind of my work room where i write music or maybe you know play guitar have my guitars little amp uh yeah. record recording stuff and we thought it hey, why don't i put them on the wall that way you know kind of like history and music you know yeah kind of cool. career the little career on the wall it is it's, it's good moments in time so snapshot instead of people walk coming over for dinner and they have to endure my career every time all around them yeah, <laughs> yeah. well it's weird it's a balance of like you're proud of it but you don't want to be showing it off but you're also proud of it you know oh yeah definitely it's a balance definitely it's a proud it's a proud thing because it's um really more of sharing it with your parents and, you know, close yeah. friends and stuff so they can go, you know, go, go Kendall, <laughs> you know, but it, it's fun to, uh, you know, because they all saw how I started, you know, I got friends, lifelong childhood friends. So they, they've seen the grassroots of me learning Gloria on the guitar to, you know, getting a little bit of success and stuff so you know to share it with them it, it's it's me so you actually started in 77 is when you guys first started right is it's Dante Fox that, or... that is uh close but i believe yeah the dante fox thing started um i'm gonna say in 78 Okay. Somewhere around there. Um, you know, I kind of made a band. Uh, I was, Jack and I were changing the name of our band like every week. And, and What does that uh, even mean? Is that, where did you get that name from? Well, what happened was, uh, like I said, uh, I was just kind of telling a brief story. When Jack... Yeah got in trouble because we were only been together a short a short period of time maybe four months and he got in this trouble and you know took up and had to uh you know uh pay the price and you know deal with what he had to deal with so i made a band from scratch just by you know putting ads out and getting this guy and that guy and i got this guy called don costa and tony richards 
who I jammed with with Jack before. So he wasn't a new thing that came from an ad, but we got a guy from an ad who was from San Diego named Don Costa. And I got a girl singer, uh, which was kind of strange for me to have a girl singer, but she sounded, she had a rough voice and, you know, had pretty good range and, it, mm-hmm. you know, she looked pretty good. And, and uh, so we kind of went with that. Um, how how we came up with the name is like we couldn't come up with a name. So the bass player, he's from San Diego. He had a friend named Dante Fox that was just like hideous dude. And he, he kind of had a reputation. He's a bad guy. And so we go, God, we can't think of anything else. So I just go with that, you know. I saw someone's name. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I know Grant White was referenced to you and your platinum blondie hair and you know yeah. all your style well not well that's why jack used to call me right um you know uh kindle the great white or whatever when i used to play a solo in a song every once in a while he would throw that out there he came up with it because um maybe not because i'm the whitest guy in the world but because we had this good and evil image like Don Costa's side of the stage, he was like, had cheese graters on his base and he was like bleeding all over the place. He got hepatitis like three times, you know. I would think once would be enough for me. (laughs) He was the evil of the two. And I was like the man from Glad, you know, I had like, everything was white on my side, you know. And then Jack was split in half. So that was our stupid image. But, um, uh, out of the blue, he just said that it wasn't like my nickname, but he said Kendall the Great White, you know. And I, when I go into a solo, so. But funny enough, when we did get an opportunity uh, with this A and R man, he never heard Jack say that. But there was a guy out in front of the, of the club, and I drove by in a car, and he was out there waiting for his car to get delivered to him. And the kid next to him pointed to the car and said, there goes Great White. And I had my head out the window screaming something to the crowd, which I have no idea what it was. So something clicked in his head and he just goes, that's a way better name than Dante Fox or whatever. We didn't like it at first because we didn't think of the shark. When, when we put the name to the shark, it was kind of, then we accepted it. But at first we thought it was awful. You, well, that's interesting you say that because, first off, with it being in the shark, and if I want to listen to your music, whatever, I always get in a bit of rabbit hole because I'm watching shark videos. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. sharks are awesome. So you watch a great way. You're like, oh, I'll listen to the song in a minute. I'm going to watch the shark video. And then go back and watch, you know, yeah. your videos. We, we liked it because I, we didn't want people to get confused and think it was like a racist name or, <laughs> or you know, or had some caucasian type of a uh, meaning that's why we're a little relieved with the shark image plus we thought it'd be a cool image you know for t-shirts and the name great white once we thought of that shark fishing by the way we're shark fishing when we thought of it it we realized that the name's not so bad anyways because it doesn't dictate what you know any certain genre of music like we could 
pretty much just write and play. We we didn't have to. Our name wasn't like a name that where you had to play death metal or you had to do anything certain. Like Led Zeppelin, I mean, they can pretty much come with an acoustic album or they can hit you with and they did. big riffs. Yeah. So, so that's such a good, a good tie-in. So Zeppelin albums, you guys actually had a lot of the um, songs earlier on, but you actually did a full album, though, at one point, of the covers. Yeah, yeah we which did. Which is really spot on, too. It's Again, His voice is candy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he imitates. He can do cartoon voices. He can imitate Robert Plant. He can imitate, you know, he can really get every inflection. He he's really, he was real good with that. Um, plus, he had an outstanding uh, vocal range. And he loved Led Zeppelin. That was his band. He, he just thought they were the greatest. And in fact, when we played... I told the story before, but when we played Unplugged, on Unplugged, the manager, my manager called me the night before and said, hey, uh, learn Babe, I'm going to leave you by Zeppelin. Uh, Jack wants to do it, you know, and I go <laughs> with no rehearsal or anything. I mean, the song, it, it's not super difficult, but the arrangement is, is pretty outrageous to learn on the fly and just go over it a couple of times, you know. So I was real nervous about it, but I mean, especially when, you know, all these TV cameras and we've only gone over it in the dressing room and once at Soundcheck. So luckily for me, I really used his vocal because of course I've heard it on the radio a million times and heard right. the song. I just never went to learn it, but he knew it so perfect that I, I could use him for a guide. Oh, really? And at times, I actually go into the part too, parts too early and kind of fumble way, my way out with some lick or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was winging it hardcore, but uh, it ended up turning out really nice. And uh, then MTV played it. And then the fans just wanted Zeppelin from us. And so we go, well, what about like our original stuff? And now it plays Zeppelin, you know, they just want to hear Zeppelin. So we had some time off and we go, okay, they want Zeppelin. Let's give them Zeppelin and, and just be done with it. So we went out and did three shows locally when we weren't touring and not doing mm-hmm. anything and recorded all three shows. We actually spent six days learning songs. Wow. Um, Jack Zeppelin. was a lost mind or not, huh? And rehearsals. Yeah, all his favorite songs, you know, from every era. And um, so we really worked this stuff up and, and went out and did these these shows. And um, we the reason we had to learn the songs, it wasn't stuff we did in cover bands, you know, at parties, you know. Right. We, we, we were learning songs like In the Light, you know, like all these you know, pretty challenging tunes, but it was kind of neat because I got to kind of dissect Jimmy Page, the way he uh, puts guitar together, mm-hmm. the way he orchestrates his parts, because I really dissected it and go, because we only, were only going to have two guitars that we couldn't do three parts, so had to pick the most dominant ones and, and go with those. But yeah, it turned, turned out... Uh, 
pretty good. I mean, the recording was just like a mic here, a mic here, a mic here. You know, it wasn't like everything's going through a mixer and it's going to be, you know, the guys out in the mobile truck all pro. It wasn't even close to that. But it, it, it's still, you know, for what it was being live and everything with not, we didn't fix anything. We couldn't go in the studio and like repair things, you know, like some people do for live. Right. But yeah. Well, that's what's so, interesting because you fine. guys have had so much, so much um, of your own material. So to see you guys have done your other covers too, you know, there's a time period like, you know, like a lot of those uh, companies were having you guys like different covers, a lot of bands. Yeah, do a lot yeah. of covers, but you guys do now, and so on. But it's like you guys had so many of your own songs. It wasn't like you're like struggling for music either. No, I imagine no. you had to like shelf no. your own stuff a little bit too. And be like, well, I got my own stuff. I want to do. This was just uh, a thing, fun. something for the fans. It, you know yeah. that we, we could, and we didn't even, we didn't put it out for months on end. You know, we, again, we had some time off, and we actually, you know, we did this little deal with this uh record company from france and and they put it out and so people could give them something to look at and trip on but uh we didn't really take it that seriously it was it was actually quite fun you know um and we just did it for three nights we just figured you know we're getting tortured to play zeppelin so we're going to give them maximum zeppelin and then we can just go back to our uh normal day at the office you know but it was fun anyways when um one of your funnier songs wasted rock ranger uh-huh that that was a pretty i remember when that came out i was like that's hilarious it was off like it was like a b-side off of one of your bigger singles at the time too yeah yeah where did that come from it felt like it was just a song you guys just did on the bus being fun and someone actually, just said hey let's you know, throw it on actually um izzy uh, from Guns, because our manager managed Guns N' Roses, he showed that song to Niven, and we they weren't going to do it, so we go, oh, we'd love to do that. It's so hysterical. Kind of making fun of drugs and stuff. Yeah. And just thought it would be a fun song to do. And uh, so, like you said, a B-side, you know, we put it on the B-side. Is he also recommended Once Bitten, too, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, he had come to Niven. We already uh, kind of knew Ian Hunter, but it it wasn't the reason we did the song. That's what was funny. We just borrowed his drum riser on a tour one time uh, yeah. from his backyard. Our sound man knew him well and asked if we could borrow the riser for the Jewish Priest Tour. And we met him then and met him again. But yeah, like you said, Izzy had, because he heard that we had an album called Once Bitten and the follow-up Twice Shy. He goes, man, I know this Ian Hunter tune. And he, he showed it to Niven without us around. Yeah. And Niven lo- loved the lyrics about it being on the road and everything. Cross the state line. He showed it to us and we thought it was cool. We liked the lyrics um, and thought it was a cool tune. We changed it around a little bit and we just thought it was going to be an album track, but it was like Capitol Records insisted that be the single. <laughs> Whatever. At least we got Lady Red Light and some of these other comebacks of it. Well, that's didn't. the thing. You have so many other good songs. I'm laughing because there'd be two songs that Izzy actually helped point your way. He's like your A&R yeah. guy or something, right? Maybe that's what he very, has. Roses. Very, He's in the much, back just very much a coincidence because we're, 
Niven and him used to ride motorcycles together. They're really close, so you know, I, I that's the way that happened. But um, yeah, that's that's great. Funny, funny stuff. It is so. At that point, you had some really cool guitars, and you still do now. The change over the years, even your Shark guitar. Yeah. When you when you had that built, was there a challenge for, to get a good sound out of it because of the shape of the body and stuff? Was that? Oh yeah, kind of a struggle yeah, at the time. Well, the one the one that I had originally that was made by J Frog, who I think did something for George Lynch, his Skull and Crossbones, and he mm-hmm. he works on movie sets and stuff. So he's not a true guitar maker, but he can take a guitar and turn it into Godzilla for you. But um, it it sounded like crap. I only played it on one song just for like you, you know for cosmetic perusal for the fans or something you know but then luckily for me dick clark had called their offices and said i gotta have that shark guitar for my hard rock for my hard rock cafe yeah. right so uh i go okay <laughs> there you go here you can have it then i could tell everybody i gave it to dick clark so you know the cool paths on that one i don't have to play it anymore but then uh Somebody had approached me from Ed Romans, um, a uh, guitar company in Las Vegas. This guy said he could make me a killer shark. And he showed me the design. And it was like a mean cartoon, you know. And I go, that's cool. And he goes, the thing, I go, the thing about these shark guitars is they sound so bad. And he goes, well, what I'm going to do is put it over a guitar that sounds really good just kind of build it around it so the guitar's in there. Right. And you're just going to have this shark. The casing? did such a good job on it. It was pretty amazing. And unfortunately, I was... Um, they were doing a pilot for a show that Ed Broman was doing, and I was on the very first episode, and the shark guitar was presented to me on... You know, I'd already seen it, but just for the show. And then he died short, shortly after that. That would have been the greatest show because he was kind of a New Yorker. He screams at people for smoking cigarettes. And, you know, it it was like, it was going to be a great show. And it's really a shame that uh, I guess he had some heart condition or something. But yeah, the guy's name is Michael Reisinger, who built that guitar. Very, very good guitar maker. I like that. So, what are you? Guitar maker. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah luther so over the years what have you favorite for guitars like no you you've got such a bluesy sound you're you're you do this i think you're kind of a signature sound a tone i mean correct me if i'm wrong you can tell it to you and maybe it's just what you play also yeah i i really believe that a large percent of percentage of it is in the hands because i no matter what i play through it always just sounds like me playing you know what i mean it's like, like any huge difference because i use this mm-hmm. amp or that amp but obviously you know uh, like a solid state buzzy sounding amp is going to sound like that so i like to get a nice tube sound or whatever but i'm not i'm not really that particular uh as long as it sounds musical and I can get the proper gain without the notes being buried by distortion. Yeah. That's one thing I've never been a fan of. I always like for people to hear what I'm doing. Um, 
So the the way I actually got that to where I really loved it, this is about as technical as I get, is Isn't I that? started getting um, lower output pickups. And it, it just made the notes louder without me having to lose my sound. You know, because when you're playing through a blazing Marshall or something and you right. have, say, a distortion pedal or something, sometimes the distortion is louder than the notes. And if you turn it, if if it is a cosmetic extra, you know, pedal, distortion pedal or something, if you take the distortion off, your sound somehow gets lost. I think because so much gain coming out of your pickup, it's almost like you got distortion coming from the source, you know. So I just kind of figured that out on my own without, you know, going to school or, you know, having somebody show me it. It's just by my own ears, I go, I got to figure this shit out. Um, so my, you know, my first original guitar was the 74 Telecaster Deluxe. And I always loved that guitar. And I played it for years and years before we got signed and everything. And I kind of ruined it. I put a Kaler bridge on it and painted it like four times. I, I really was just a goofy kid that messed things up. But recently I just got a 75, uh, a 75 Telecaster Deluxe. It's almost identical. Oh. And uh, so I'm going to use that for a spare guitar, uh, you know, out doing these fly dates, mm -hmm. you know, if we're out in trucks, I bring a lot more, but um, on these fly dates, it's, you know, which is kind of the way most of the bands from our era are are playing these days. And you like buy like an extra ticket or something for it, you bring your guitar, like we bring like two guitars, <laughs> yeah, bring it on. Yeah, you know, you. bring two guitars and then we got an acoustic, Michael brings an acoustic and he has, uh, you know, a couple of electrics, a uh, couple of guitars. You know, we kind of bring the minimum, but it, it's just the way it is. Um, you know, if you're not touring with 18 wheelers and, you know, a 30 man crew, it's a, it's kind of a different situation these days with people not really buying music. And, yeah. you know, um, I don't know, the, it's, the world's a lot different <laughs> than today, but we're still enjoying it. You know, we play a lot of festivals. We're playing with bands that we never played with before, like Sticks and Borner and, you know, Head East and all the random April Wine, you know, uh, I mean, oh, wow. when, when we used to tour, we'd go out with one band for like eight or 10 months, right. you know, and sometimes maybe six months, you know, so we just play arenas five days a week and, and just do that all over the country. Um, but now we're, you know, we're flying to do a couple shows. Some we headlined, some were in a semi-opening act position. So we might play with REO one week and then, you know, Sticks and then, you know, somebody else. So it's a lot of fun because you run into people you haven't met before. And it, it's kind of joyous, actually, you know, to meet some of these guys like Sticks, um, Tommy Shaw and stuff. Um, I actually played, in the 90s, I played a guitar he designed called the Hamer Duotone, which had an acoustic side and electric side. 
and that guitar sounded amazing. And really? that was a real, really good. It didn't take off. A few upper echelon artists played them, but it just didn't, you know, uh, take off uh, and sell like they needed it to. So they kind of quit making it. But it had an acoustic output that you go straight to the, you know, like a direct box. Mm -hmm. And then you had your electric side that went in, you know, to your amps. And it was really cool because instead of having to have the acoustic on a stand, like say right. it opens with the acoustic, has an acoustic breakdown or something. And you, you have to do one of these jobs, you know, where you got your guitar around you, you know, you can just flip the switch and you could actually mix in clean guitar with it and the acoustic. You get oh, like a crossover? Sweet sounds. Yeah. It, it was pretty neat. I have to look that up. Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty neat. You can still find them. One of mine, it um, it fell off a stage about 30 feet. Ugh. I had it on one of those stupid stands, which I, I I totally learned my lesson on, you know, the regular stands with the little thing that goes out and the yeah. little neck holder. I never put them. Like sometimes if I don't have a guitar bowed out, I'll lay my guitar on the ground and people go, man, that's a nice guitar. Why do you have it laying on the ground? It has nowhere to fall. <laughs> <laughs> it's already there, man. You know, as long as no one steps on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a guy, uh, we were on tour with Alice Cooper and in, in Europe, we played about 40 countries with them and the opening act, um, what were they called? They had that song, Girl School, was their hit. Oh, Britney Fox. Britney Fox. The guitar player had this, like, prize Les Paul. I mean, it was like a, I don't know what it was, a 1968, you know, gold, gold top, top or something. Just yeah. beautiful. The headstock broke. The same oh. way I did it, but it fell. He was crying, literally tears. Tears coming out this grown man. And oh. I don't blame it. That's why I, I never have brought out occasionally, you know, maybe a local gig or something. But I, I, I used to, I just wouldn't bring guitars out that I couldn't replace, you know. I, I suppose if it was a very controlled tour or something that I could probably bring. That's a phrase that. I've never heard before. A very controlled tour. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> one with a, a trusting crew guy, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds put, good. Put it away perfectly. Yep, lots of respect. I don't yeah, know. Uh -huh. It's just so risky. I, I, you know, it's just better to use them in the studio and use um, guitars that I'm endorsed with that can be replaced. The, the whole neck came off, you know. Uh, or just broken half somehow. They just That's send me another one. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of artists do that now. They have that. They have the fly date guitars and they have the regular guitars for recording to keep it home at this point. You know. Yeah. And, and yeah. that way you can There's use a lot it. of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that people won't bring out. I I know Jack Blades uh, <clears throat> from Night Ranger. He had this acoustic that just was so even and beautiful sounding. There's no way he would ever bring that anywhere. Nugent offered him four grand for it, and he goes, "Uh, uh, <laughs> nope." <laughs> so he, he just, it, you know, you can really 
when a guitar records really well, you really want to hold on to it because sometimes uh, there's it might it might not be real super even sounding, you know, as far as EQ wise on its own acoustically. Mm -hmm. But if you get one that just sounds so even and bitching, it, it's best to keep it around for the studio because, you know, sometimes... Everybody has that story, right? The one guitar they get, I shouldn't have got rid of that guitar. It's just like the world. Uh, I've got one. I mean, everyone's got that. I should have got rid of that guitar story. You know, ovations and stuff like that are great for live. You know, they're, they're mm -hmm. wonderful for live, but they don't really record that well. I've tried it a few times. Very difficult. To make it sound, um, I suppose there's a way, but uh, and I'm not by any means saying ovation or bad guitars. It's just yeah. I've had better luck with Gibsons. Um, Guilds sound real good, just for a standard acoustic type vibe. No, you, um, you have a hard time replicating the sound you get live in the studio. It's something about the yeah. acoustics is just yeah. the bright sound. Yeah, so it's all good, man. Well, the, the thing you said earlier and um, talk about albums and, and, and the touring and, and albums aren't made the same, they're not released the same. You can do singles nowadays, you know, bands, you do it because you do it because you like writing songs and you guys are still putting yeah. out new music. But the market kind of went kind of top to trivia now for rock bands yeah. when, once grunge, the shoegazing came along. And anyhow, so at that point, it was a weird struggle for any artist to find a sales because you're competing against the flavor of the month, you know. Yeah. But I'm sure touring, I mean, did you guys have some hot spots like overseas, like, you know, in Europe during that time period? A lot of bands found a lot of, you know, solace because there's places that still, you know, stays true to rock. Is yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Japan's really like that and Europe's like that. You know, um, they're real loyal, especially in Japan. I mean, they're not going to leave the Scorpions because some new music is popular. You know what I mean? No one leaves the Scorpions. <laughs> yeah. Once they're a fan of your band, they stay. You know, they they don't move to this other thing. Um, they might like this other thing, but they won't right. leave you. Um, but yeah, in the 90s, it was pretty much hardcore touring, playing mid-sized venues pretty much. Um, you know, we're not the type that are going to, you know, if some new music comes out, like we're going to try to sound like that or something. Okay, I don't. You know, it, it's like, you know, it, our whole thing has always been, it's like, write the best music we can and pray people like it, you know, because we, I can never like try to be, I suppose I could, but, I, you know, it wouldn't be very rewarding. Um, yeah, we just, uh, we're still writing music and stuff. We'll, I, I don't know how we're going to go about this. If we're going to do a full CD, maybe like just put out like five songs or, you know, do a video in one song and then use that later for an album. I, I We've been like kind of hashing it around, trying to, uh, you know, bring it to today's way of things, you know? It's like, you know, keep the excitement rolling. Like we still write music, check this out and dig it type vibe instead of, yeah. we know we're not gonna sell a million records. We're not out to make a bunch of money from from music. 
We just want people to know we're still here and dig this new stuff we're doing. And, you know, come on down and see our show and we'll play it for you. Uh, that's pretty much the whole thing. Plus it keeps our uh, energy level, at, you know, vibrating where it needs to be, has, you know, by being creative and all that. Well, the change, because, well, obviously you had Jack for the longest time and then you brought in Terry and that's a, a new component to a band into the, yeah. the, you know, to the cycle of writing. I mean, yeah. does that mix it up totally too for you guys again? And then you're going to have, you know, you know Mitch, you know, another, he's a songwriter, so you're going to have to be different again. It's like new energy is just being brought in each time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good energy. Actually with the singers, it hasn't been as bad as bass players. Those guys really disappear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have <laughs> oh he didn't show up okay let's get a new one you know so um, but yeah um, Mitch um, is, does a great job uh, I sent him music with no melody ideas I never really did that with the singer before and he came back with a full song so and I was super impressed by what he came with so worst case scenario with him is I might say, hey, you want to try this lick, you know, this local mm -hmm. idea? Because I think it would be better if you, just in this one spot, if you maybe change that lyric or did this or that. So, but as far as his overall, you know, you got to realize he has like 10 solo albums or something, you know. Oh, yeah. So he's, a, he's a songwriter. So when he hears music, he knows how, what to do with it. I feel like he wasn't up to the point like of um you know not popularity, but he wasn't known as well. So him being in the band makes sense. Like he's where he should be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. He was underrated yeah. on a level. He is. It was funny because I was talking to uh, Michael Thompson, who's a super gifted uh, studio. He works with David Foster on every project. Mm -hmm. You know, so he's just like this massive badass guitar player. And years ago, he was uh, in Mitch's band. And, uh, you know, they'd play on Letterman and these type, it was that type of a gig. But he, he's a monster. And he goes, man, that's a good move you get in Mitch, man. He is a rock star. He's badass. And that was pretty cool coming from him because I really respect this guy's um, skills. You know, he's, he's really good guitar player yeah well it makes sense because he's also from the same age group and a peer group it makes sense not getting somebody it fits you know yeah yeah you know um i met him at michael wagner's but i didn't really speak to him because we had this gang shout thing and then i met him on the cruise he was uh, came on stage and sang choruses on once bitten twice shy terry had invited him to come on stage which is weird, which is like having your ex-girlfriend introduce you to your new wife. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what happened. Somebody sent me a picture, and you could just see me and Mitch on stage, and I go, man, that looks pretty good. That looks cool. Yeah, That, that looks like it fits image-wise. It's like, I'm kind of tall. He's a big, tall dude. And I don't know. It just looked totally natural. But I didn't think of it beyond that i just you know we weren't like looking for a singer but when i saw that van halen story yep it, it made me remember him 
I go, that's the guy from the cruise and the guy that was in Michael Wagner's studio. And I go, what is this story about him being a Van Halen? Because I, I grew up with those guys. You know, I, I saw him in a backyard when I was 16 or a junkyard. And I pretty much know everything about their career except for Mitch Malloy jamming with them. <laughs> so that interests me enough to where I go, who is this guy? Like I heard him do Panama, but I, w- I want to hear more, his voice more. So I kind of researched him on the internet and listened yeah. to some, so- some songs and go, whoa, man, this dude has pipes. And I told Michael, uh, my keyboard player, and he said, I've been looking into him for a while. <laughs> I just cracked up because he didn't say anything to me about that. So this whole thing didn't happen by design. But I go, we should send him music and see what he sounds like with our music. You know, some new stuff and old stuff. He had a studio. You know, he's mixed Taylor Swift and all this stuff. You know, he's like an engineer, right. uh, producer type dude, too. So we sent him just a few songs and he didn't know if he'd fit either. He just, you know, but he was interested and he laid his vocals down and it was bad. He he really did a good job. So we had him come out and jam. So that's how it happened. It wasn't like we we're totally looking for a singer, but yeah, whatever things happen. Well, it's interesting because he actually, his voice range is more of a tie in between Terry's and Jack's actually. I felt like you know, Terry was more of a departure. Terry, stylistically, uh, wonderful singer. Um, he he did a great job on our last record. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, we're kind of a little bit going different directions. Nothing drastic. I mean, we didn't get any huge fights or anything. It just um, when Mitch came along, I just felt like it was a better fit in every way: voice, image, every, everything personality you know um but terry's monster monster singer man no he's great there's no disrespect i mean is it did he just get an email from you guys or did you guys like sit down with him was like a surprise i mean i've heard that i don't like to believe everything i hear uh what now how was he was he told that he said i heard it was like via email that doesn't sound no uh, so many years in right right um well, it, it was kind of done that way, um, but I saw him at NAMM show, and he was all good with it. You know, the whole thing for me was his band was just kind of waiting around for him. It was like they weren't doing anything, and I felt right. like he he glued into that band like perfect, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Their style. I mean, they were like European, too, and stuff, and um, I don't know. It, it just seemed like his voice fit with the inside out stuff, you know, that it just glued yep. to that music. Um, you know, our fans kind of looked confused a little bit when they'd watch our shows, but then he'd sing really good and they'd go, Oh, okay. This guy's cool. But I, I just don't really have a lot to say. That's, uh, that's bad about Terry. He's, uh, very nice guy. Very nice. Yeah, no, I wasn't trying to stir anything up. It's just I heard that. And it seems like a weird yeah. thing. If you've been with somebody for like so many years, I'm well, going to be like, you know, you guys both react and talents. So it's not about that. It got it got released on the internet before we could tell them. And then, so it, it wasn't 
um, our publicist's fault. She she releases information, and then so we hadn't told him yet, and she didn't no. know that. So he heard the information. And he's going, That's "Oh, hard, this is man. a this is a hell of a way to tell." You know, that is know, hard. I've got involved and, and like we were just the bad guys all the way around. So and so what do we do now? Go, hell, oh, we'll meet us somewhere and we'll talk about it. You know, it's like we already know. So, you know, wow. so that was a tough situation. We're not bad people. We, we don't want to hurt anyone. Um, but well, I, that's I, what I'm saying. It seems like it seems out of character the way everything kind of felt because that's not just like, you know, what I mean, yeah. We we always we have to look out for, you know, our music and and make sure it's delivered the best it could be. You know what I mean? And yeah. So so how how long? Felt, did... I'm sorry. Continue. We felt like with Mitch uh, we could do a little bit better. Yeah, but it's not the Terry's not awesome. You know that's why I don't want to. No, he's he's fantastic. Nothing, I think he's a good talent. Nothing against him. No. What's interesting? So how are you doing? Like as you get older with your fingers playing live. Yeah, that's, I'm doing great. I got a Pilates machine in my workout room. Look at you. So <laughs> I keep it, I, you know, it's really about the movement. I kind of learned this from an acupuncture guy. He says, when you get up in age, just make sure you're moving, you know, yoga, do, you know, stretching, a lot of stretching. So I have a whole routine that I do every day and it, Mm-hmm. I, I can tend to get a bad back, but since I've been doing Pilates, it just—I don't know—something happens with your circulation or something. I, I don't know what. And you, your legs feel different. Your arms—it—it it, it feels like you know you opened up the blood floodgate or something. They just feel more alive. It, it's because of these exercises you do. It's not like weightlifting. I'm sure you get it from that. But this is like ma- mainly stretching and strengthening. And, it, and it's when I discovered that, because here's the thing, I used to stretch all the time, but you can't do it as good as you can on the machine. Mm-hmm. On the machine, you know, you strap, you strap your feet in this, and you know, the spring weights allow the tension. You can have them as many as you want, you know, depending on your strength. I keep it down to like one. <laughs> well, it's no, good that but, you take care of yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's important. Yeah. You know, the stones have set the bar for everybody. And no drinking, don't smoke cigarettes. Um, you know, taking my vitamin D and zinc and vitamins every day. Uh, don't drink soda, mostly like juices and stuff. So I'm, you know, I, I eat pretty good but every once in a while we have what we call the cheater meal mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's when you know we might throw down with a stick or something but for the most part i i eat pretty decent you know it helps uh exercising and stuff to to play live and when you are old <laughs> you know that's what I'm because saying. So the show important. I do on stage is the same I did when I was 20. There's nothing different. But you know, if I'm not doing what I need to be doing, I could probably be sore the next day, or mm-hmm. which still happens. The main thing about the way we're doing these gigs, it's the sleep is the problem. Because you do one show. 
and then you got to meet at 4 a.m. to get to the next one. You're pretty much go straight to sound check. Yeah. And you're, t- you're taking naps, you know. So to where on bus tours, you know, you unwind after the gig and go in your bunk and go to sleep and for the three or 400 mile drive. We didn't care how far it was because you can sleep in those bunks like crazy. If anything, it's when the bus stopped is when it woke me up. When it was rolling, I was good. I hear that. And I hear that or, or when they get home from tour, they can't sleep in their bed because they're so used yeah, to the, 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 the motion, like, like a baby. It's like it's rocking them. Here. Yeah. You need that engine sound. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's really the lack of sleep, you know. Well, that, that's, that's the awesome. hard part. Yeah. Last thing, you, you got some gigs coming up. I want to let's announce them to some people out there. Yeah. Um, well, the next thing we have is the third and fourth in Jackpot, Nevada, a place called uh, Pistol Pete's Resort and Casino. We're going to play two nights, same place. Uh, played there before, but it's been a while. It's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but a lot of people go there and dig it, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's uh, a cool little town. So... Um, yeah, let people know about that. Uh, December third and fourth. Then uh, we usually this this time of year is not like filled with shows, you know. Like in February, I believe we're going on the Monsters of Rock cruise or whatever, and then we usually start back up in March and do more shows. Mm-hmm. March, April, May, June. So I got to kind of squeeze the baseball in around the gigs, <laughs> well, <laughs> like Mr. Baseball. The, the other thing is, so uh, we're gonna probably, so everyone's watching. We're gonna have all the links are gonna be underneath the show. So go to the website. The website has all of the tour dates on there. Merch, yeah. everything's pretty much there. Yeah, fishergreatwhite.com, and, and you can see what we're up to. We got a lot of merchandise and stuff on there, even coffee. <laughs> believe it or not, really, and. uh some cool t-shirts and and actually we brought back some retro t-shirts from you know like our first album the stick it shirt and you oh, know, nice this, you know just for old fans you know the fans that were around on our first album well you know what that uh, does too is it fights back people having to pay 200 dollars on ebay for an old shirt kind of cuts out the, yeah those oh, people yeah that's awful uh, i can't believe uh some of the prices on ebay i've never <laughs> done that i would rather uh no, so when bands like well, reissue those shirts, those designs, yeah. I'm saying it's very nice because then the fans yeah. can, can have the artwork at a reasonable price. Sure, exactly. That that's the whole point is uh, they can kind of relive the past. And yeah, I was, I know where I was when this album came out. Yeah, yeah I remember those shirts, and you know, oh, twenty bucks, cool. <laughs> you know, or yeah. whatever. It's, so, it's great. Yeah, it's right. great. Well, I want to thank you. I mean, for giving the time tonight and talking and sharing and. Hope we mix it up a little bit because I know that in people, there's a lot of really historic interviews out there where he kind of gives a scoop to nuts. We do a yeah. little different tonight and kind of bounce around a little bit and talk about a few yeah. different things. That's that fine. It's more of a casual conversation as opposed yeah. to, you know, when just, did the bonds get together? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's right out there. It's, and it's fantastic. They're, like we were saying before, there's there are other podcasts that have done a fantastic job. Yeah. But it's like ACDC has a great album, Black and Black. You don't need another Black and Black. It's already been done. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Why do the yeah. same thing again? You know? Sure, sure. You know, you've lived a, a full career whilst talking about other things, you know? Absolutely. All right, well, man. Nice talking to you, Sean. Thanks, nice talking thanks, to you. Man. Thank you. You have a good night.
Okay, bye-bye.